All of that has just very recently changed in human history, with the result that for the first time in human history, in Christian homes, the woman's life, her opportunities have dramatically changed, and families have to figure out, all right, how do we look at the biblical text with its emphasis on family, children, husband, but how does that fit in with the other opportunities that a woman has now? Because these labor-saving devices have freed her up immensely. Better health care has freed her up immensely, freed women from the harsh constraints and demands that were historically hers. Welcome to Grounded. I'm Steve Hartland, pastor here at Cornerstone Community Church in Joppa, Maryland. And this episode is titled, It's a New Day, a Great Day for Women. Well, it's going to be more than women. It's going to be men, women, and children, but especially women. It's a new day. It's a great day. These really are good times, particularly here in first world territory. Not quite as good in other parts. We'll see that. But uh, man, has life ever changed for women on the planet. And what a blessing. But uh, to get some perspective, I'm going to bring in a book here. The title of this book is Factfulness. It's written by Hans Rosling with his wife, Ola, and his daughter, Anna. They wrote this book. The subtitle of the book is uh, Factfulness, 10 Reasons We're Wrong About the World and Why Things Are Better Than You Think. Just you might be interested to know what prompted me to read this book. So one thing you do when you like books is you look for people that you trust and their book recommendations. So every year, Bill Gates, yeah, the Bill Gates. I'm not a huge Bill Gates fan. But anyway, he puts out a list of books that he's read that year and things that he recommends. He highly, highly recommended this book. He so highly recommended it that he actually put up money, which was pocket change for him, to buy any graduating student at a university in the United States a copy of that book upon their graduation. So I imagine he bought a lot of copies for a lot of people. Well, anyway, that prompted me to read the book, and it's about the state of things in the world, state of things in terms of education, finance, poverty, and whatnot, and uh, some very interesting things in here. So let me tell you a little bit about the state of the world. So he breaks the world down into three different levels of people. So there's level one, level two, level three. Well, then really there's level four. That's us. But there are three other levels. Let me just read to you what's like for level one. This is a billion people, a billion people on the planet. This is how life is for them right now. Level one, you start on level one with an income of $1 per day. Your five children have to spend hours walking barefoot with your single plastic bucket back and forth to fetch water from a dirty mud hole an hour's walk away. On their way home, they gather firewood, and you prepare the same gray porridge that you've been eating at every meal every day for your whole life, except during the months when the meager soil yielded no crops and you went to bed hungry. One day, your youngest daughter develops a nasty cough. It's from smoke inhalation from the indoor fire. It's weakening her lungs. You can't afford antibiotics, and one month later, she's dead. This is extreme poverty, yet you keep struggling on. If you are lucky and the yields are good, you can maybe sell some surplus crops and manage to earn $2 a day, which would move you to the next level. Good luck. So roughly 1 billion people on the planet are living right there. So what's life like for a woman among those one billion? It's rough. Life is very, very hard. Well, level two. 
Here it is. You've made it. In fact, you've quadrupled your income and now you earn $4 a day. Three extra dollars every day. What are you going to do with all this money? Well, now you can buy food that you didn't grow yourself and you can afford chickens, which means eggs. And you can save a little money and actually buy sandals for your children and maybe a bike and more plastic buckets. Now it takes you only half an hour to fetch water for the day. And maybe you buy a gas stove so your children can attend school instead of gathering wood. And when there's power, they do their homework under a bulb, but the electricity is too unstable for a freezer. You save up for a mattress so you don't have to sleep anymore on the mud floor. Life is much better now, but still very uncertain. A single illness and you would have to sell most of your possessions and buy medicine. That would throw you back to level one again. Another $3 a day would be good, but to experience really drastic improvement, you need to quadruple again. If you can land a job at the local garment industry, you will be the first member of your family to bring home a salary. Roughly 3 billion people live like that today. So we're up to, excuse me, sorry, we're up to 4 billion people on the planet. Life is hard, man. What's it like for the women? There's no electricity. There's no fridge. There's no, well, maybe you have a little gas stove you're able to buy. You can't go to the supermarket and get food or not much anyway. Let's go to level three. Wow, you did it. You work multiple jobs, 16 hours a day, seven days a week, and you manage to quadruple your income again to $16 a day. You've been able to save a little bit and you install a cold water tap. You actually have water that runs into your house. No more fetching water. And maybe you have a stable electric line and the kids' homework improves because they can see at night and you can buy a fridge and that lets you store food and serve different dishes. You save to buy a motorcycle, which means you can travel to a better paying job at a factory in town. Unfortunately, you crash on your way there one day and you have to use money you had saved for your children's education to pay the medical bills. You recover and thanks to your savings, you are not thrown back a level. Two of your children start high school. If they manage to finish, they will be able to get better paying jobs than you have ever had. To celebrate, you take the whole family on its first ever vacation one afternoon to the beach just for fun. Roughly 2 billion people live like this today. So we're up to 6 billion people so far, and there's only 8 billion people on the planet only. So what's, there, what's it like for 6 billion people on the planet? It's hard, man. You're rich. I'm rich. We're really, we're unbelievably rich. Let's go to level four. This is the top level in the bunch. You have more than $32 a day. That's highfalutin. You are a rich consumer, and three more dollars a day makes very little difference to your everyday life. That's why you think three dollars, which can change the life of someone living in extreme poverty, is not a lot of money. You have more than 12 years of education. You've been on an airplane on vacation. It's one of the things they measure it by. You can eat out once a month, and you can buy a car. And, of course, you have hot and cold water indoors. Man, that's unbelievable. And then later under category four, the difficulty when you have always known this high level of income is to understand the huge differences between the other three levels. People on level four struggle hard to understand the reality of the other six billion people in the world. Roughly one billion people live like this. Well, now it's more like two billion people are in level four. So by the way, in the book, he's saying how it's getting better and better and better and better for, for all people on the planet. One of the most important things is education for women. That makes everybody's lot much better in a bunch of ways. But we're going to talk today about how 
how the top billion or two people on the planet have it. It's much better. It's a great day, especially for women. What does this have to do with us? Well, here's where this comes home to us as Christian parents, Christian husbands, Christian wives, Christian families. Uh, What do we care about this? Life has changed so dramatically for us in level four that for the first time in all of human history and for just us on the planet right now, we actually have a new problem. The problem is how to figure out what the woman's life might look like because it has changed so dramatically for her. So like, how does a woman stay true to the scriptural passages that talk about her role when she also has so many good things that make her life so different now? That's why we're getting into this. To put it another way, the new, the better, the easier conditions present now, historically unique situations that we have now present unique challenges for Christian women and their husbands, figuring out how do we navigate this, how do we live in this, and yet still fulfill our God-intended role. All right, let's zero in on the lot of women, because it's way better if you're in the top four category. Let's begin there with Genesis 3.16, what happened after Adam and Eve fell. Well, God said things are going to be cursed, and life's going to be hard, and in pain you'll do things. And to the woman, he said, Genesis 3.16, to the woman, he said, quote, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. A whole lot of her life is going to be about pain and bringing forth a lot of children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. All right, the part I'm after is I'll multiply your pain and childbearing. You're going to have more kids. You're going to have a lot of kids. It's going to be a difficult experience. Peeking ahead in this podcast, modern medicine has greatly alleviated this pain, and we are thankful for that. Amen? Like, I don't know why. My wife wanted to have all four of our boys natural, and she did. Nothing to relieve the pain, no spinal block, no meds, no nothing. And so they were all natural. And they told us there's no such thing as pain. There's just discomfort. Let me tell you, there was pain. But we're thankful for the pain-relieving things that we have. But for most women and most of the time, no analgesics, no anesthesia and whatever, it was a very painful experience and a very dangerous experience. I've read about how in Victorian England, if you're going to go to the hospital and have your baby, you filled out your will first. You updated your will because there's a good chance you might not be coming home. And everybody kind of knew that. And in most of human history, let's face it, you're a woman. If you have a husband, you're going to have a lot of babies. Unless there's infertility, we understand that. But for most women, you're going to have a lot of babies starting in your late teens and running all the way down maybe into your late 40s or even mid-50s. And if you have one at age 50, you're still raising it for another 15, 18, 20 years. So your entire life was spent with multiple, multiple, multiple kids and nursing and raising and feeding and cleaning and all of that. So let's look at history a little bit. What was life like for the average woman? It's so good now for the blessed people on the planet. So for most of history, of necessity, women were tied to, were just tied to the many and powerful demands of the home. They couldn't help it. It's not that males were oppressing them and forcing them into some role. It was just the harsh realities of life. He had to go out and do the heavy lifting work, and she had to stay home and nurse the babies and have the babies and tend to the babies and raise the babies and, and take care of the household. Nobody was complaining. Nobody was saying, you know, women are oppressed. It's just, it's just the way it was. And there were unique challenges that women faced that, that men in particular didn't face. 
So there were personal health issues, and not to get too personal, but there are monthly issues for women, and the products that women use today did not exist. And they weren't readily available, and they weren't very good till the 1940s. Even later, they got better. Prior to that, every month, there was kind of a difficult week being tied to the house. What about having babies? As I already mentioned, they were just a constant thing. Like every year and a half, you have another baby. Year and a half, you have another baby. Two years, you have another baby. This was just life. So you're either pregnant or you're nursing the whole time. You got babies in diapers the whole time until you're 45, 50, somewhere in there, and then you're raising and caring for the children. What about raising the children? Caring, nursing, feeding, bathing, teaching, tending. There were no schools for most women on the planet ever. Your kids didn't go off to school. You had all your kids with you all day, every day, and you had a lot of kids. You were nursing one. You had two in diapers. There were no disposable diapers. There were no store-bought diapers of any kind. You were very busy with many other tasks. For most women in most of human history, there were no baby bottles. You just had to nurse all your babies unless you were affluent and you had a wet nurse come in. You had to be your baby's nurse. There were no wet wipes. There was no indoor plumbing. So when it was time to wash the diapers, man, wash day was a bear. Wash day was a beast. And there was no indoor plumbing. There was no washing machine. There was no clothes dryer. There were no perambulators, the British term. My dad's British. What do we call them over here? They're uh, baby something. You push the baby around. What is it? A stroller, that's it. There were no strollers. If you went somewhere, you had to carry that baby. People have actually calculated, I forget the numbers, how many pounds the average woman had to haul around with her in a day with a baby on this hip and maybe another one on that hip. There was no wind-up baby swing that'll keep the baby busy. There were no baby monitors. We never had those with our kids. I'm fascinated when I visit our daughters-in-law and they have these little monitors. There was no car and there was no car seat. Washing clothes was amazing. No washing machine, no dryer, no electric iron, no running water. Read an article about wash day prior to electricity, about wash day prior to washers and dryers. I'll just give you one little example because I've read a number of articles because it's fascinating. It was a very physical day. The woman had to get up early and start the fire, get the fire going under the kettle because it's a big kettle and you got to heat up a lot of water. You might have to make the walk, you and your kids make the walk to the river to get the water to start with. Before there was detergent invented or readily available, removing dirt and stains from clothing required a ton of muscle power. Laundry day meant hard twisting and slapping of clothing against rocks on the river, stomping on the clothes, using paddles and washboards to quite literally beat the dirt out of the fibers. Uh, There were things to do the night before laundry day. You had to, for example, here's another article, soak the laundry overnight in lye or soap. Each piece would need to be individually set and pushed down in the large wooden tub. Any mending would be done at this point. Uh, Every piece was removed from the overnight soak and scrubbed using the washboard. Then each piece would be wrung dry by hand and turned inside out. And it just goes on and on and on about the the ordeal of laundry day. It says, for, for most women and most of the time, a whole long physical day would be spent every week just doing the laundry. Very different for Christian women in first world days here in 2022. Then you had to hang it to dry it. There was no clothes dryer. And you had to use an iron. Why are they called an iron? Because they were made of cast iron. They were five to 10 pounds a piece. You had to iron all that stuff by heating it over the fire that you made with the wood your kids gathered or the coal that you had maybe. And uh, you heated the thing and then you had to 
iron your clothes with that heavy, heavy iron. While you're caring for those babies and caring for all those kids and the family needs to eat that day. Talk about cooking. For most women and most of the time, there's no grocery store, no car to go there if there was one, no refrigerator to keep foods from spoiling, no gas stove. For most women and most of the time, just feeding her family was a major undertaking and a major effort every, every, every day. And when dinner was done, there's no indoor plumbing with which to wash the dishes. There's no dishwasher. By the way, in our house, I'll just tell you, so we have guests in a good bit, and it might be a couple of couples, and so Debbie makes the meal for all of them, and she does the entire prep for that whole thing. It's a, it's a, a big part of a day getting ready for all that. And so to relieve her, my little beanie part is after that, well, I'm the cleanup man, which means I load the dishwasher. How easy is that? It's pretty easy. What about housework for most women and most of the time? Well, you didn't have a vacuum cleaner. Incidentally, my dad, he's 94, he just got one of those little vacuum cleaners that motors around the house by itself. So just you'll be sitting there talking and the thing goes by and the cat's bad at it and it goes by again and so on. Well, you didn't even have a vacuum cleaner. You had a broom. There was a lot of dirt because nothing was paved outside and all kinds of dirt is tracked into the house. Let me tell you a story about dirt. So when I was a pastor in Riverside, California, I was invited to preach at a church up in Missoula, Montana for a weekend. So I flew into Missoula. Missoula is like in between mountains. The airplane goes real steep when you're going down and you land. And when you get in the airport, there's stuffed animals everywhere. Like I remember there's a huge grizzly bear going like this, standing there in the airport. I stood and looked at him for a while. He was very big. Um, And then you go out in the parking lot and it's mud. And everywhere we went was mud. I was like little city slicker from Riverside in my polished shoes. Everyone up there is wearing boots. Because when you get out of your car at church, you're stepping out into a great big mud puddle. That's how life was for an awful lot of people in all of time. You did not have an indoor bathroom. At night, you had chamber pots. Well, the list could go on and on. You get the idea. A woman's life of necessity was just hard. So what's happened to make things better? Well, a lot. Just now in human history, you women who are listening to this are unbelievably blessed, unbelievably fortunate. And so are the men and so are the kids. We are unbelievable. The, the, the playing field for women has dramatically changed. And this has radically changed the possibilities for a woman, though it didn't change the woman. The desires God put in her heart, the longings God put in her heart are still there. But life possibilities have dramatically changed. What are some of the things that changed it? Well, here's a list. For example, this would be on it, the recent invention of and sale of good feminine products that, again, didn't really get good until the 1960s. Prior to that, it would have been hard to hold a job out there when once a month there were things to deal with. Here's another major player in the change, frankly. It's reliable, easy birth control, which was not really uh, readily available until the 1960s. Until the 1960s, folks, prior to that, for most of women on the planet ever, every year and a half, as I already said, you're going to have another baby. You're going to spend your 20s, 30s, maybe 40s, maybe up to 50, having babies, raising lots of them. Then the Industrial Revolution also happened. They invented sewing machines, and women were able to ride a bicycle to the factory to work on a sewing machine and make some extra money for the family and for the kids. There were offices with typewriters. I happen to have, I dig this thing. I have a 1939 Royal. It's like this tall and you have to go, mm, mm, 
on the keys to make the big iron come up and slam the paper. My mother had one of those. She was a secretary with one of those in a shoe factory in Littlestown, Pennsylvania. There were jobs for women. And then there are other labor-saving inventions. These are amazing, like indoor plumbing. You just walk over there and turn a handle and fresh, clean water comes rolling out. You don't have to walk to the pump out in the yard. You don't have to walk to the river. You don't have to walk to the well that's in town. Most people are all human history. Never had indoor plumbing. Most people on the planet today do not have running water in their house. And then they invented refrigerators and you had electricity to run your refrigerator. And now you can just put food in there and you've got food and food and more food in your refrigerator. Anybody from prior to this time would look in that fridge and go, oh, unbelievable. Look at all the food you have in there. And then you have gas in your house or an electric situation and you've got a gas or electric stove. You don't have to light a, well, maybe you light a fire. You can do this and the fire lights. That's how it works in our house. And you have a washing machine, and you have a dishwasher, and there's a food store nearby, and you have an air-conditioned car to get you to the air-conditioned and heated food store. And in your house, you have heat and air conditioning. You don't have to tend the fire. You don't have to open the windows, and the flies and the bugs come in because there are no screens. And now there are lots of jobs that aren't intensely physical, that can be worked from home, that can be part-time, and it's really an amazing day. For women. By the way, 90% of office jobs are held by women because, well, one, they're good at multitasking and the men would be pathetic by comparison. But also, uh, a lot of those are part time jobs they can work and they can still love their family, love their husband, love their kids, and so on. So, all of that has just very recently changed in human history, with the result that for the first time in human history, In Christian homes, the woman's life, her opportunities have dramatically changed, and families have to figure out, all right, how do we look at the biblical text with its emphasis on family, children, husband, but how does that fit in with the other opportunities that a woman has now? Because these labor-saving devices have freed her up immensely. Better health care has freed her up immensely, freed women from the harsh constraints and demands that were historically hers. But God's commands haven't changed. So a woman still needs to emphasize these things. Let me read a few passages. 1 Timothy 5, verses 9 and 10. Let a widow be enrolled in the support of the church. If she is not less than 60 years of age, why can't she be less than 60 years of age? Because she's still young enough. She could work harder, or she's probably still raising children, or she's got some grown children in the house still. Having been the wife of one husband, having a reputation for good works, If she has brought up children, interesting, that's on the list. I didn't write that list. That's Paul's list. That's God's list. Or 1 Timothy 5. What are some of the things God wants women to emphasize? So I would have younger women marry, bear children, manage the households. Interesting Greek word. Be an oika, that's the house, despot. You rule over the house. Manage their households and give the adversary no occasion for slander. Or again, Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. What, what does God tell the women to emphasize? Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, 
working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Now, let me just say the working at home phrase there. I'm not bringing this out to say all women ought to just be home. Not at all. My wife worked and had other jobs throughout our entire married life till she retired about two years ago when COVID hit. We employ women in the church where I'm a pastor. I'm very happy to employ women, and they're working, well, largely from home, but also outside of their home. This is not like barefoot and pregnant and no jobs for women. Not at all. Look at the Proverbs 31 woman. I mentioned her in another podcast recently. She's into real estate. She's manufacturing. She's selling stuff. Her husband's praising her in the gates. Uh, So viva la Proverbs 31 woman. But these things are still important to women. They are wired by God and fueled by God to be intensely in love with their family. Women like people, men like things. Women like her people, their people, their babies, their children. And yet they're deeply fueled for those things. And yet some women will pursue a career. Let's make this a really bright woman because there are lots of really bright women, just as there are lots of really bright men. So we have a really bright woman here. She goes to a really great school, and she becomes a lawyer in a top law firm. Here's what often happens, and the law firms know it when they hire her. It's difficult. Here's what often happens. She will track right with the best of the guys. She's a great lawyer. She's going up. She's climbing the ladder. She's getting better and better, and she gets into her late 30s and maybe approaching 40, and she taps out because she says to herself and she says to her employer, you know what? That was great, but this isn't what I really want. I really want to know my husband. I really want a relationship with him. I don't want to work 80 hours a week anymore, which you pretty much have to do to get your billable hours. And I want to have kids. She's driven. She's fueled to have babies. I want to have children, and I want to actually raise them. Can I work part-time? Or can I go to no time? Maybe they just completely bail on the career at that part. This is one reason for some of the pay gap, by the way. Some of the best-selling, the best-paying, highest positions Women get near them and decide, I don't really want that. And there's very few men who even want that, 80 hours a week, and so on and so forth. Christian women have options that none of their forebears had. And Christian women with their husbands right now for the first time ever are having to wrestle with and figure out, how do we navigate this? How do we still do all we want to do for family, for kids, and so on? And yet, how do we let you be involved in the things outside the home that other women couldn't be? So it's an interesting time. I'm not here to give advice. I'm not here to say, here's how you ought to navigate that. It's going to be a very personal thing. It's going to vary a lot from family to family. Here's one negative tendency, however, in our day. It is, now just give me a chance on this, pay attention. It is to severely limit the number of kids. I don't know if you realize, I'm going to do a whole podcast on this sometime. This is a major global problem. I don't know if you've been reading about that. It's not much in the news. It is actually a very serious, major, global problem. The books to read here would be the books. There are four books by Peter Zihon. I've read the first and the last, and they, they all talk about the problem here. So the, the problem is we're not replacing ourselves. Well, why is that a problem? Well, some people say that's good. There need to be fewer people on the planet. Yeah, but it's a major problem. To replace ourselves, we need 2.1 kids per family. In America right now, it's 1.7. In South Korea, it's 0.81. Their population is imploding. It's self-destructing. Most African countries, by the way, like Niger is the highest. It's seven kids per woman. Uh, Niger is saving the planet from annihilation. Niger is saving the planet, and other countries like it, is saving Europe 
You know what's saving Europe from their deplorable low replacement rate? It's massive millions and millions and millions of immigrants, most of them Muslim. And you read about this in the news. Europe is turning Muslim, and there are so many immigrants. There are huge problems in Europe. We'll read about that. This is such a big problem that I was interested to see. I follow Elon Musk on Twitter. He's an interesting character. And he tweeted maybe six or eight months ago, hey, y'all, we need to have more babies. It's a major problem on the planet. And he said, it's not that... It's not generally that, well, we don't have enough money to have a baby, so we won't. It's, it's that uh, the more money people have, that's data on this, the more money people have, the less likely they are to have children or many children. So Elon says, for example, everybody he knows, the richest people on the planet, have no kids or maybe they have one kid. So it's not about money in most cases. It's about other things. It's about our own standard of living. It's about the things we want. It's about what kind of time we want to spend. But not having kids is a huge problem on the planet. In China, they are now, you know, they used to have the policy of one child and everybody wanted a boy and they'd let the girls go somehow. Uh, in China, the government is now pleading with people to have more and they're not because they live in cities, a lot of the population, in teeny apartments, and there's really no room for another kid. In Germany, they're paying you to have a kid. I think I've told this before. We support a church plan in Germany and I'm in touch with one of their pastors. His name is Dominic. And Dominic tells me that they just had their second baby. This is a little late now. He might be back to work by now. But they just had their second baby. And for having their second baby, the government pays them so that she can be off of her job and get paid by the government for a year. Her job's guaranteed when she wants to go back. And he gets off for a year, paid by the government. And his job is secure and waiting for him when he goes back. Why would Germany do that? Because they're saying, please, we need you to have babies. So here's the thing. Your population ought to look like a pyramid. So what's the pyramid? Well, at the top, you have the oldest person in your nation. And at the bottom, you have all the babies. So you have way more babies than you have oldest person in the nation. And what you need is a pyramid so that you have at the lower ends, you have a large population of producing and purchasing people. That keeps your economy alive, and it also makes enough revenue to support the older people at the top of the pyramid. Well, what happens in a lot of nations? In Europe, there are no pyramids. You might have a chimney. A chimney is better than an inverted pyramid, but there are a lot of chimneys where it's just straight up. So we have the same number of old people basically as we have young people, and there's not enough population to support this thing. And because there's fewer now, there's going to be fewer later and fewer later, and it's imploding. In some nations, there's an inverted pyramid. So you have very few babies, very few children, very few people producing, very few people who have the money to be purchasing, and the economy implodes. There's nobody making anything. The businesses are dying. There's nobody buying anything. It's a major, major problem for nations on the planet. This guy, Peter Zihon, in his book, predicts that nation and that nation and that nation and that nation is going to implode and completely fail because they don't have people who are going to work and consume. So Christian families ought to think about that. It's like, hey, we ought to do our duty and have more babies. If you're able, I'm not making a law for everybody, but where you're able, Christian families ought to consider this. Also, we ought to consider this because God's cultural mandate still stands. What did God tell us to do? He never rescinded it. He said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, exercise responsible dominion over it. That's still the mission of the family. We're still supposed to do that. 
That's why he tells younger widows, Paul's does, Paul does, get married, bear children, manage the home. This is one of the things women, women are supposed to focus on. So given these improvements, how does a Christian couple still have more babies? By the way, having more babies is really good for the kingdom of God too. Most people who come to saving faith in Jesus Christ were raised in a Christian home. By far, the larger number of converts were raised in a Christian home. One of the best things you can do for evangelism is lead your kids to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Well, let's lead lots of them to faith in Christ. All right. So can the wife work outside the home? Well, sure. Nobody's saying not. Again, go read Proverbs 31. Look at what my wife did. Look at how many people in our church, women in our church, work outside the home. But here are a couple things for Christian families to think about, to keep in mind as you navigate your way through this new circumstance of, hey, you can you can have your family and have a job or a part-time job or maybe even a full-time job, and you can still navigate all this because of all the labor-saving devices and so on. Here are a couple things to keep in mind. Number one, your family and your kids come first. Well, this is true for the husband and the wife. But let's face it, the burden of the children, of raising the children, of tending to the children, falls primarily on the woman. There are studies about this. We know this is true. What happens where you have a full-time job man and a full-time job woman and you have children? It means the woman works way harder. She does. There's just sound data on that. Uh, She's driven to. She loves to. And he, not so much. So here's a second thing to keep in mind. When you work outside, you're just going to make yourself way busier because, let's face it, again, studies indicate you're going to do most of the work. Here's the third thing to keep in mind. For most Christian families, most Christian women, here's how it might work. Here's how it seems to be working out. Many women, after they've had a baby or two, they might keep working part-time. Some of them are able to keep working full-time. Nowadays, a lot of them can work full-time from home, and it works pretty good. Um, And there are very flexible settings that we didn't used to have. So keep your marriage first, keep your children first, and you're going to be busy. Let me speak to Christian women who are not wives and Christian women who might be wives and are single and haven't been able to conceive. Well, God bless you. You're not second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. You're riding first-class with everybody else. We love you. We care for you. We know that there can be some difficulties and challenges in your life. There are also some blessings and benefits to being single, for example, that Paul outlines in some of his writings. But look, you mothers— You are the backbone of civilization. You are the ones who are shaping and forming the next generation of humans to come to saving faith in Christ and to populate the church of the Lamb. Nothing could be more important. Nothing could be more fulfilling. You are probably the most important force for evangelism in the world. You, having children, and raising children. And yeah, you have a very hard role and you live a life of amazing sacrifice. Just thank God. You here in the first world countries, just thank God for how it is compared to what it used to be. So that's it for today. It's a new day for women. Hope you found this interesting. Before I let you go, let me just remind you, Grounded comes out every month on the second and fourth Wednesdays usually. So thank you for joining me today. Hope you'll tune in again.